Amen. Children, you are dismissed and you may be seated. Wow, you know what? Uh, even though Easter's over, he's still risen. Amen. I, uh, I always think it's uh, easy to go to the next Sunday and forget, or at least not mention, the fact that, that he is risen, that he has conquered Satan, sin, and death. And the only reason why we can come before the Lord and, and the only reason why we can be filled with the Holy Spirit is because he died and he rose again. So let's pray and let's, uh, let's go after the word of the Lord together as we dig into the book of John. Father, we love you. Again, we just thank you so much for the fact that you love us despite us. God, we thank you that you are risen, that you sent your son to die for our sins and to raise again on the third day. God, we are tremendously blessed beyond measure because of you. If that's all we ever had in life, that would be enough. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak to us this morning. That as we open up the, the scriptures to this passage in John 5, I pray that we will look at it in a new way, that our eyes will be opened by the power of the Holy Spirit within us to awaken our minds to what the scripture is saying. And if there is something that we need to own and land in our hearts, I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will bring that truth to us. Be with us now, speak through my mouth, and utilize this time as we grow closer to you. In your name, amen, amen. A pastor and mentor of mine once told me this really interesting story. He said that at a healing service that they had on a Sunday night, a man came up to him and, and he realized at the end of the service, the Lord was speaking to him that he needed to ask for healing for an anger problem. But he comes forward and he asks this, this pastor, he says, I really know that the Holy Spirit is saying that I need to be healed from this anger, but I don't, I don't want to be healed from anger. Well, the pastor said, well, that's really interesting. Why in the world would you come up asking for healing if you didn't really want the healing? Well, this guy went on to say, well, I'm wrestling with it because my anger has actually helped me in my life. I know that my anger has made me a better businessman. In fact, my, my people that work under me, my employees, they follow me because I tell them what to do. I urge them and I'm, I use my anger to push them and I use my anger to be a better businessman. My, my whole business has gone from three people to 200 people now. We have a huge business and I know that my anger was used to urge this business on. Well, my pastor friend looked at him and said, Wow, that's, that's intense. It seems like you really don't think that God can do anything beyond after being healed in your life and in your business. And the guy went away saying, no, I'm not ready. I don't want to be prayed for. That was an interesting encounter. Three weeks later, he comes back to the pastor and he says, okay, I just can't shake it. The Spirit of God, every time I pray, says that I need to be delivered of my anger. And so I felt the Lord saying, I need to come back to you and ask for healing from this anger issue. And he said, well, are you really ready? Are you ready for the consequences? Are you ready to see what's going to happen, whether it's your agenda or not? Are you willing? And the guy said, yeah, <laughs> come what may. And the pastor prayed over him that day and, and delivered that guy from a, a, an issue of anger. The Lord healed his heart. And wouldn't you know that this man was so filled with grace and love that his workers worked harder. They worked even better than they did before because he was leading with a different spirit, a different heart, and his business flourished. 
Now, that doesn't always mean that when God heals us, our businesses are going to flourish. But the point is, is that God answered his prayer, not just in healing him from anger, but also the fear that he had in the unknown, God responded in a powerful way. You see, we can look at that guy and say, wow, that, that guy's got really big issues. If there's an issue that, that needs to be healed, don't we always want to be healed? But I, I'm here to tell you that we can believe a false fantasy where our bondage feels like freedom. We, like that same guy, can feel like the things that are binding us are actually bringing us some sort of freedom. Now, how is that possible? Well, I believe that this story in the book of John is going to show us how it's possible. And I believe that there are hindrances in our lives that we create or that the enemy creates from the freedom that God has for us. Because our, some of the pain and some of the anguish and some of the sin in our life can seem so appealing as if it's a friend that's keeping us comforted. So many people continue in sins over and over and over again because they believe that those sins are their friend. And they remain in bondage because they think that that specific thing is actually bringing them freedom. But they don't actually see the chains that are chaining them down. And so the question that we have to ask today, that as we open up the scriptures of John chapter 5 verses 1 through 17, we have to ask the question, what are the hindrances to true freedom? What in our life is hindering us from the true freedom that God has for us? Because I guarantee you that myself included, each and every one of us in this room has something that God wants to free us from, but there are hindrances that are in the way. So if you would read with me, John chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. And before we get to this story, to me, is just ridiculous. I look at this story and I giggle every time I read it. Because it just is nonsensical. It's so outrageous that you know somebody didn't make it up. This actually had to happen because it's that nonsensical. Anyways, I giggle every time. I'll try not to giggle now. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. <laughs> For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. The reason why this story makes me giggle is several different areas. 
The first is as Jesus is in Jerusalem, he stops by this pool. And you have to understand, there was a belief that when the water was stirred, that the angel of the Lord was stirring the water so that people would be healed. Several people were healed when the waters were stirred. They would get in and there would be healing. God had put together a healing pool. And so this guy who has been there for 38 years, he's been an invalid that long. He's there waiting to get into the water. So we think. But Jesus comes and he asks a very interesting question. He just asks him, do you want to be healed? Now, you're, you're thinking he's at a healing pool. This guy's been there for 38 years. He's been an invalid. Clearly, he wants to be healed. Jesus, why are you asking such a weird question? That's like asking somebody who doesn't play baseball but really wants to play baseball, do you want to play baseball? Or whatever other illustration that you could think of. It's an audacious, really weird question. But Jesus, I think, touches on the first hindrance to freedom for this guy and for you and for me. And that hindrance is the lack of desire. The lack of desire. Because desiring freedom is critical to receiving freedom. Desiring freedom is critical to receiving freedom. If you and I do not want to be free from the sins that entangle us, from the pain and the wounds that entangle us, from the bondage that we're in, if we do not desire freedom, it won't come. We can blockade the freedom that God desires to bring us by saying, I don't want it. This guy had been laying there for 38 years. One commentator that I was reading as I was trying to discover how old was this guy or how, how old do, do men live during this time, you know how old men would averagely live during the time of Jesus? Forty years. Forty years. So his entire life and his next two years of life, he was assuming I'm an invalid forever. This is what I do. This is who I am. He began to identify himself and solidly identified his occupation, his life, his position. Everything was identified by him being an invalid. If somebody would ask you, who are you? Probably his first answer would be, well, I'm an invalid. My name is Peter or John or whatever his name would have been. That's how he identified himself. So when Jesus asks this crazy question, that you would think that he would say, yes, it's time. Oh, he's asking me a question of healing. I've heard about this guy. He does healings. Yes, heal me. That's not the guy's response. That's why it makes me giggle. Because he, he doesn't say, yes, heal me right now. This has been my life for far too long. I only got two more years to live. I want to live them standing and running and dancing and singing. Maybe that's not how you would spend the time if you could walk. But that's how I envision that this guy would want to do that. But he answers Jesus with a really weird answer. He says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. He doesn't say yes. He doesn't say that's what I need. He doesn't get excited about the possibility of healing. He makes an excuse. You see, fear of the unknown can block us from freedom. Fear of the unknown can block us from freedom. Warren Wearsby says of this man, he had been in that sad condition for so long that his will was as paralyzed as his body. He had been in that position so long that his will had become as paralyzed as his body. Listen, there are things in your life that have probably been so oppressive, that have probably been so ridiculously heavy and burdensome 
That the idea of losing it changes your identity. You have no idea what will happen beyond this moment. There's this fear of what will I become? What will happen? What's going to happen if, like this guy in the beginning that I mentioned, if my anger is gone, what is going to happen? How am I going to identify myself? This guy who had been an invalid his entire life was looking at everything that could be changed. His occupation, he would probably have to get a different job than begging as an invalid. Because he would no longer be an invalid who can beg. No one would give him any money. His whole occupation would change. He would no longer be where he had been for 38 years, sitting in the same place. His, his life would change where he lives and where he eats. Everything would change for him. And so the fear of the unknown blockaded his desire. I know a young man that I worked with in Pittsburgh. And he's about 25 right now or 26. But his whole life, his identity was wrapped up in his bad dad. Everything that he would go back to and say, my dad was just bad. My dad was just a bad dad. I'm where I'm at because my dad's a bad dad. His identity was, I'm a boy with a bad dad. That's how he identified himself. And when I would challenge him and say, listen, you've got to release that identity. You can't live under that bondage of having a bad father. You've got to allow the power of that person off of you so that you can live in freedom. Well, he refused to do that. And similar to this, this beggar, we recognize that this fear of freedom can change everything. And we fear it because we don't know what's going to happen next. Jesus is asking us, do we want to be free? Do we want to be healed? Because when it comes to bondage, they could be things that are long-time sins that you've begun to identify yourself as. Maybe in your mind, oh, that's just who I am. Oh, that's just what I do. It could have been some past abuse that has happened in your life where someone has abused you and you own that and you say, well, I'm just an abused person. When we do that, we give that person power over us consistently, but God can bring freedom where our, ident our identity can, in fact, change. We see as we continue on where Jesus asks this question, and the, the, the lame guy says this, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. He gives an excuse. And so the next thing I think that we can see that we see in this story about a hindrance to freedom is that avoiding and excusing our brokenness only keeps us in bondage. Avoiding and excusing keep us in bondage. We have brokenness in our lives. We cannot avoid the fact that we have brokenness in our lives. We live in a broken world. And because we live in a broken world, we live among broken people. And because we live among broken people, broken people help bring brokenness to our lives. Hurt people hurt people. Now, we can wallow in pain and sorrow over that, or we can become victors through Jesus Christ, who died on a cross and raised again from the dead to conquer Satan's sin and death. There is nothing, there is no amount of brokenness in your life that Jesus cannot handle. We cannot avoid our brokenness. We cannot walk away and say, oh, I'm fine. Because the reality is, is it's okay not to be okay in the kingdom of God. Are we admitting that we're not okay when we need to? Or are we putting on a false facade that says, I'm totally fine? 
But inside, you're broken and wounded and hurting. Listen, God wants to deal with those areas of brokenness so he can bring healing to your life. The other thing we see is that this guy is excusing his brokenness. He's saying, well, the only reason why I'm still here, yeah, okay, you asked me if I want to be healed, but before I answer that question, let me tell you, it's not my fault. I'm still here, and it's not my fault. People just cut me in line. I've been here 38 years. I could ask someone to push me closer and closer and closer, but I never do because everyone's in my way. No one wants to help me. No one cares. And there's Jesus standing right there in front of him, asking him, do you want to be healed? Saying, I want to help you. I'm here to be here for you, to free you from this bondage. Oh, well, nobody cares about me. How often do we do that to Jesus, where Jesus is saying to you, let me heal you. Let me be with you. Let me fix and give you freedom from the bondage in your life. And we look at Jesus and say, no one even cares about I know I've done that. Jesus cares. Jesus loves. Jesus desires to bring freedom. You see, one of the oldest tricks in the book when it comes to sin in our lives is blaming other people. The story in the garden always cracks me up too. The Bible's really funny, by the way. If you read it, it's very ironic, and there are really good bits of humor. And so Adam and Eve, they come and they confess about their situation, about eating the fruit. And maybe you've heard me say this before, but they come to this place and God says, you know, why did you do that? Who told you about this thing? And and he comes to Adam first and he says, well, the woman that you gave me, he blamed two people in one sentence. The woman that you gave me told me to eat it. He's like, it's not my fault that I sinned. It's not my fault that I messed up. It's not my fault at all. It's all hers and yours. And God's like, are you serious? I would love to be there in that moment for God's answer. Like just his his look of disdain upon that question or upon that statement. But you and I, we might look at that and we might giggle and we might laugh about it, but we do the same thing. When God points out our brokenness or points out our sin or points out the fact that we're living under the weight of something that he wants to free us from, we begin to make excuses and we begin to blame other people. We have to own our part. We have to confess and be honest with where we are. We can no longer avoid or excuse our brokenness because it keeps us in bondage. Do you tend to blame others for your lack of healing? I know this is kind of a touchy subject because it's huge in our society about abuse, both physically and emotionally. But when we live under the reign of our abusers, that's where we consistently excuse everything that we do based off of what they have done. God wants to bring freedom. And we need to sit there and say, okay, the things that are in my life are due to my brokenness. But God, I'm done blaming other people. I need to own my part. And those areas of brokenness and abuse are painful and hard to wrestle with and will take years and years of sometimes therapy, sometimes just deep prayer, sometimes people coming alongside. But one of the things I've learned about people that have abused me in my life is that when I give them and excuse everything and put everything upon them, they still hold power over me. 
But God wants to release us of the power that those people who have abused us, those areas of life that we excuse or avoid, God wants to bring them full circle and bring us freedom from those things. Do we avoid our pain? Do we avoid our sin? Do we avoid our brokenness? And do we excuse it away? I know I've done it. That's a hindrance to true freedom. God desires to bring deep, real, honest freedom to your life and to my life. Jesus had this conversation with this man to show us the hindrances that can be in our lives. Let me tell you, Jesus isn't fooled by our avoidance or excuses. He's just not. He sees right through it. He recognizes our excuses and our avoidance. He sees it and understands it. But honesty with our brokenness exposes the fullness of our bondage. And that's for us. Honesty with our brokenness exposes the fullness of our bondage. Because when we are honest with the Lord, we're trying to stop making avoidance moments and stop making excuses, and we come straight to it and we say, this is really where I'm at. We can step back and actually see, wow, I am a lot more chained than I ever imagined. And that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be, is not recognizing how chained to bondage we are. But Jesus brings freedom. Are we being honest with where we're at? Some of you might recognize, I say this often, that we need to be honest with our brokenness, honest with our sin. And I believe that's something that God has just put on my heart because I've seen way too much mask wearing in the church. Way too much. Because it's really easy to walk through the church doors and the building and put on a mask and pretend like we're perfect little Christians. It's really easy to do that. But then we're going to be living a false facade. We're going to be chained and bound to things that we shouldn't be chained and bound to. The only person or thing that we should be a servant of is Jesus himself. We don't need to serve any other master. But too often we do. Too often we do. But here's the beautiful nature of this story, is that humanity answers to Jesus. Jesus doesn't answer to humanity. Look what happens. This guy begins to make an excuse. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he makes this excuse, and then Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. He's like, I'm not going to deal with your excuses. I'm not going to deal with your avoidance. You're healed. Just go. Just do it. Walk away. Pick it up and go. And the guy picks up his bed and he goes. Now, What's really interesting, and we'll get there in a moment, is that this guy doesn't even say, what's your name? <laughs> he doesn't say, hey, you just healed me. I've been here for 38 years. I didn't even have to get in the water. What's your name, buddy? He doesn't even ask that. He's just like, <whistles> like nothing big happened in his life. I just, I, I don't understand. That's what makes me giggle about this whole story. It's like this guy is just completely ridiculous. He makes excuses, doesn't answer the question. Jesus heals him. He walks away and doesn't even care to ask the guy his name. Jesus just healed him. But it shows us that humanity answers to Jesus. Because this guy maybe didn't want to be healed, but Jesus healed him anyways. Do you see the irony in that? The guy didn't say, yes, heal me. Jesus was like, yeah, I'm just going to heal you. I'm just going to do it. Go ahead. You're done. You're healed. Walk away. 
And this guy does. Jesus does not answer to humanity. Also, the really funny thing about this too is that the guy who's picking up his mat and walking, he bumps into some Pharisees, right? And the Pharisees look at him. This is on the Sabbath day. They look at him and they're like, you're holding your bed and walking. Why are you doing that? How could you break the Sabbath like that? That's terrible. And he's like, it's not my fault. That guy over there, he said, walk. It's not my fault. Could you just imagine that, right? This guy is healed, and he's blaming Jesus for his healing and for his walking with his bed on the Sabbath. He's tattletailing on Jesus for healing him. I mean, to me, this story is just absolutely ridiculous. But it shows also that Jesus does not answer to man-made religious restrictions. Jesus does not answer to those. He's not going to bow down to man-made religious restrictions. Because sometimes we take the Bible and we say, all right, here's what God says, but in order to be really good, don't do it this way. Jesus is like, that's man-made. That's not what I said. I'm God. You're trying to rewrite my story. Stop it. I'm going to tell someone that they're healed and they're going to walk on the Sabbath, and they're going to walk on the Sabbath because I told them to. Because I'm in charge. You're not. How often do we allow our, our religiousness to get in the way of something that God is trying to do in our lives. We look at the scripture and say, well, that was really great. That happened, uh, but I don't see it happening in my life, so it's not real. Well, that's a religious restriction that we're saying God can't do this. But he can. He can do whatever he wants. He's Jesus. He does not answer to us. We answer to him. But that leads me to another point about religiousness, about religion. You see, blessing was supposed to come from the Sabbath. Did you know it was supposed to be a blessing? You know what? God said, go rest. Take a nap. How about somebody comes up to you at work and says, go take a nap? <laughs> You're going to hop in your bed and say, yes, I get a nap in the middle of this terrible day. Well, that's exactly what the Sabbath was supposed to be. We're supposed to be excited that God said, take a nap. But he didn't say you can't use the, you have to use a square pillow that's so specific that it doesn't even feel comfortable. You got to go lay on the floor when you take this nap. You see, you got you to make sure the light is just right. You got to make sure the noise is just right and then take a nap. That's not what he said. He said take a nap. But so many times with the idea of the Sabbath when we say take a nap, these Pharisees were like, here's how you take a nap. Here's what you do when you nap. Here's what you don't do when you nap. Now, not everybody naps the same. If I was told to nap with a really small pillow and a really hard bed, I wouldn't nap. It would stop being a blessing. And the Sabbath to religious people stopped becoming a blessing. So much so that when this guy, who they know, he's been around for 38 years. The Pharisees know this guy. They knew his situation. They knew what was going on in his life. They knew how broken he was. They knew that he was sitting there for 38 years, hoping and waiting maybe to get into the water and be changed and healed. And here this guy comes down the street whistling with his bed. And they're like, stop. Rather than saying, you're healed. It's been 38 years. Yes, praise God. They say, why are you carrying your bed? Would that be like, really? Like, that's why this story just makes me laugh. Why 
would they do that? But here's why. Another hindrance to freedom. Religion stifles rejoicing. Religion stifles it. Because the Sabbath was made for blessing. Where are the areas in our life that we have made a relationship with God, a religion, something so structured that we have to do it, that we miss real relationship with Him? When God does something in our life, we miss it. The Pharisees were the most religious guys of their day. They were experts at the law. They knew everything about the Bible inside and out. But in the beginning of John, it says, although they knew about me, they missed me. I was among them, and they completely had no idea. Man, I think sometimes that happens in our lives. Because we're not developing a relationship with God. We're allowing a religious spirit to attach itself to us. And that's some heavy stuff. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to release us from the religious spirit of control and manipulation so that we can see the blessing and we can rejoice when God does something crazy. These guys should have rejoiced. The next thing that we can see, a hindrance in our freedom, is from this guy's life. Being healed doesn't always mean being made whole. Here's what I mean by that. Verse 13. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Jesus had healed his body. You would think that after that happened, that he would come and say, Teach me everything I need to know about you. Because I was, I was broken for 38 years. But this guy did not take his physical healing and allow it to be a holistic healing in his life. He just took it from God and walked away and didn't allow it to affect change in his life. That's why Jesus gets up in his face and says, go and sin no more. I am freeing you from those two things, your physical ailment and I can free you from your spiritual one. But he didn't have any of it. Because the moment Jesus said that, he goes and he tattles on Jesus. I just don't get this guy. I don't get it at all. He tattled on Jesus twice. Finally, he got the name right the second time. And then it says that is why they were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. You see, this guy, although he was physically healed, he did not allow his healing to make him whole. When God shows up in your life, and there are those areas that you need to be free from in your life today, and you allow the Spirit of God to release you from bondage, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to do His deep work in our lives and allow that healing to lead to a complete transformation of ourselves. Because if we don't allow Him to make us completely whole, if we don't allow Him to heal us holistically, guess what? We're going to go right back to our chains of bondage. Right back to him. So we need to allow the Holy Spirit to heal us fully. Had this man been freed from his spiritual plight as much as his physical plight, he never would have tattled on Jesus. He would have avoided the Pharisees like the plague. And when they would have asked him, he probably just would have been silent. You see, we need to allow him to affect change in the totality of our lives. 
Because true freedom is found in a full restoration of the heart. A full restoration of the heart. Are we allowing God to do his deep work in our lives? Are we? We have to ask that question, where's the brokenness in my life? And when I find it, and when the Holy Spirit highlights it, do I want to be healed? That sounds like an odd question, but it's an important one. We talked about the ability that you and I can be fully restored last week because of the resurrection. All things can be made new. This is just coming right back to the full circle idea of full restoration. God wants to restore every area of brokenness in your life. Will we allow him to? Or will we hinder our own freedom? Like this guy in the story of the pool of Bethesda. Jesus offers freedom to those who desire it. The Holy Spirit can enliven our hearts to see the hindrances and can empower us to release them to him. So my prayer is for you today. And that you pray for yourself, what are the areas that are, are bondage in my life? What are the areas that I need freedom from in my life? What is the Lord saying? And then allow him to do his deep work and fully restore you, releasing you from those areas of bondage. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this story. Because this guy seems like a total idiot. But I know that that's me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll highlight those areas of brokenness in our life that we need healing from. And that we'll allow you to do your work. In your name. Amen. Amen. As always, the altar is open. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, don't miss the chance. Just come up and we'll have an elder uh, and a couple of our leadership ladies to come and pray with you as well. So if Holy Spirit's moving you, do that. If not, keep asking the Lord to show you those areas in your life because they will continue to pop up. Thank you.